0: Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, episode number 10. Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Welcome, welcome everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast. And with us today we have the talented DJ Lefty and DJ Lefty is a DJ that is Cape Verdean and he's going to bring us a very interesting story from his perspective of how Kizoma came to be, what it is now. And I think he'll be able to answer a lot of the questions that we ask ourselves about Kizomba, especially here in the States where things aren't always open because we don't know the history behind it. But uh, that's one of the reasons why I have DJ Lefty on the line. And I found out about him from my friend, Emily. Emily's been on the podcast and she really liked his energy and his story and things like that. And that inspired me to bring him on to the podcast. So welcome. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, so DJ Lefty is your DJ name. Um, what about your first and last name? My,
1: <laughs> my full name is Alan Pyrus, born, born and raised in Providence, United, uh, Providence Rhode Island. In the United States, born uh, born, parents, parents of full-blooded K-Verdian immigrants, migrated in 1970. I was born in 1973. Uh, and the interesting thing about me is that I was born physically handicapped with one hand. My, my left arm is not severed off, but it just never completely grew out. So I have a nub, quote unquote, with five fingers on it. And the way that I operate is I have two hands. I mentally don't think I have one hand unless I have to do back flips or anything that <laughs> <laughs> prevents my life from being in danger. But but beyond that, uh, pretty much everybody that gets in contact with me notices after a good 20 minutes or half hours. It's just like, no, the kid has two hands that I don't need to worry about it being uh, struggle and he's just looking at the hand and kids look at the hand all the time and be, uh-huh. be like wow like how does he have one hand and how does he do all of this how does he drive how does he do you uh-huh. can imagine this my son gets a lot of questions at school about this stuff too so it's just like that's hey, yeah. crazy that's my life
0: though how old is your son
1: my son is eight years old
0: awesome awesome i haven't had any kids yet i'm 31 now but people are telling me i need to to get started but i don't know we'll see <laughs> <Yeah. say.
1: laughs> be prepared it's a life having kids is a life changer and it's a blessing too but it definitely know, yeah. definitely will change your life up
0: so before we get <sighs> started into the music and things like that um your name dj lefty did somebody give you that name what's the story behind that that dj name
1: all right um i grew up in the neighborhood where i have a lot of class clowns you know what i'm saying people with jokes and stuff like that. So we used to mm-hmm. crack on each other, call each other names, like funny names and stuff like that. And then one day my boy called me Lefty, you know, from the A Team. And I was just like, ah, I didn't like I didn't really approve of that name at the time, but it was just like as a joke and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So lo and behold, uh some odd years later when I'm starting to get into the whole art of DJing and turntabling and stuff like that, just trying to look for a name for myself. And um i got into an altercation at school in a gym class with another kid and you know just after a while when we when we brushed it off and just started laughing and joking there goes the lefty name again Mm
0: -hmm. and then more or
1: less when he said it it popped up as like oh my god that's the name that's the name that's what i'm gonna call myself so it's kind of almost taking like almost like i thought about it is just like you know it's taking my weakness it's taking my my natural visual weakness and just making it my actual strength. So everybody's going to know that I have one hand. So people often ask me, it's like, what's your name? And so my name is Lefty for obvious reasons. And they just look down and just sarcastically laugh and we just mm-hmm. move on, you know? That's awesome.
0: No, that's awesome. You're able to flip it into a positive thing and, and use that to kind of set your own unique identity, you know?
1: Correct. And it's always been my identity as a one, my one hand, but I just I never really technically used it as a token for me to get to get to get ahead in the music business I've always just you know if I always had my skills I've always practiced and everything like that mm-hmm. I work I try to work on my shows I try to work on my performances and everything like that of course I had to master the art of DJing of course just having one hand mm-hmm. um, but after a while it just became natural you know and then people of people started to notice and definitely the professionals definitely noticed when you, you, know, when you're doing things almost when they notice when you're DJing the right way, quote unquote, you know, people pay attention. It's just like, I could got talent and they see that I have one hand and it's just like, Whoa, completely changed the game mm-hmm. for, for my, um, for my city here in Providence for a while That's during awesome. the mid nineties, you know? So definitely, i, definitely yeah, I heard changed that, the game.
0: I've heard that, uh, that area has a very large population of Cape Verdeans
1: yes uh I happen I happen to live in Pawtucket Rhode Island where there's like I I can't even imagine how many caveurs live there but it's pretty much infested with caveurs
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hear I hear yeah. okay so let's go ahead and take a walk back into time and let's see how you guys started into DJing
1: I've always been into music my father you know my father and mother, I like said, growing up in the Cuban house and then going outside to an American country. So my parents kept it always, you know, cultural inside the house with the talking, the food, mm-hmm. and just the culture, the way we live, and especially the music. You know, the music was always right there. You know, my parents when they migrate from a different country, the one thing that definitely links them back is is the letters and the music that they get to hear that comes out and, you know, and just mm-hmm. reminisce on the times that they was back at home and stuff like that as they make their new lives in a, in a different country. So um, my parents always had, like, the latest records. Uh, my father knew a lot of, like, artists, producers, and, you know, saying that used to come back and forth as promoters used to bring them down to do shows, you know, and, and they've always known that. My, you know, my father had space in his house, so my father knew a lot of the, the famous cavernians They used to come down. So I used to see him come out of my house left and right. You know, they leave records, they leave music. Uh, I remember uh, Luis Morage, God bless his soul, used to stay at my house. And I remember him playing for me and my sisters and breaking down the saxophone mm-hmm. as he played it and then reconstruct it. As he's playing it, like, damn, these dudes are sweet. like, where did they get this talent from, you know? And this, and this, we're from, it's, we're a third world country, you know? We're not the, we're not, we're not the poorest country, but you know we're definitely rich in spirit and we're definitely rich in culture. And we take, you know, we take our stuff serious. Um,
0: definitely. What music genres were there that you were listening to growing up from, from Cape Verde?
1: Well, growing up, from, well, growing up, just my father used to play a lot of, uh, you know, of course K Verde music. But he also used to play like Spanish cumbia music, like from like <laughs> Colombian music. Mm-hmm. Um, different types of Spanish stuff I see a Brazilian like Nelson Ned, Roberto Carlos in his young and his young um, young days and stuff like that. And also my father also used to have a stack of funk records like James Brown. Jackson 5, Tom Jones, Isaac Hayes, you name it. And believe it or not, I still I still have these records to this day
0: still yeah. in the
1: collection, yes.
0: Still have, awesome.
1: these, still have the same records my father used to listen to.
0: So the funk stuff reminds me of my dad growing up because he definitely had records of like Isaac Hayes and Jackson 5 and stuff like that. But my dad is Nigerian-American, so we didn't really listen to a lot of Nigerian music growing up. But it's it's interesting to see the similarities between the funk, and I guess that was just more of a an American influence at the time, you know?
1: Yeah, but the funk was also not just an American thing. It was it was a worldwide thing at that time, you know, because mm. you had people like people like uh, Fela Kuti. Uh, you also had uh, Manu Dibango that was doing, you know, that like the African funk. You know, yeah. you had people from Senegal, Dakar, Guinea Bissau that was also doing like funky stuff but it all what it did was just they used the outside countries outside america used that influence to put inside of their music mm-hmm. which they come on like music is very universal you find out in different places they'll play yes. the same funk or they'll have the same feeling that you would off a james brown record and then when you go find out it's like three four white boys playing it's just like <laughs> wow it's just like it's the same. It's almost like it's the same feeling, like the same emotion that goes through making those records. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, it's, it's not about sometimes it's not about the artist, sometimes it's about the inspiration that you get from one great artist that it would lead to another great artist to grow. You get what I'm saying?
0: You know, I love what you said about music being very universal because Kizuma is definitely growing here in the United States and growing in a lot of different places around the world, you know. Yeah. And that inspiration, that human feeling, that human happiness is something that whether it doesn't matter what nation you're from or the color of your skin, if you feel it, you feel it, you know.
1: That's definitely true. Um, it's one of those things where it's just growing on people where I thought where just in the uh, African diaspora and the European diaspora it was only just there. And then all of a sudden when you see Asian, Asian people also dancing to Kizomba, like I said, it, it, knowing to dance better than I know how to move it. Mm-hmm. I'm just, like I said, we're ready. It's it's definitely growing to a, a big global phenomenon.
0: I got you. We're going to get into that in just a second. Um, I just wanted to go a little bit about the things that you had in your bio because it seemed like reading your bio it seemed like you were more well known in the hip hop world more so than in the Cape Verdean world. Correct.
1: So, so just to give you a good a, a good. Background of myself: I've been DJing for thirty years
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, since '86. I uh, learned how to since thirteen, probably doing like school parties, mm-hmm. little, you know, saying little outside events that we used to do at the Boys and Girls Club, and you know, there was always that influence of other DJs being around. But you know, I've always was into it, and I the reason why I got into DJing is because of my left arm. You know, a lot of the stuff that. I tried to get into socially as a child, like sports or just little groups, you know, they looked at me as, as sort of like a liability. Mm-hmm. You know, To be like, oh, I don't know if you could do this, or I don't know if it's safe to let you do this. So once I found the art of DJing, I kind of kept it to myself, you know? So so I can't say I'm, that I'm self-taught, but you know, I had my uncles and I had influential people around me helping mm-hmm. me, you know what I'm saying? But more or less, you know, I would never think 30 years later I'd still be doing what I was doing at that point in 86, you know?
0: That's awesome. So in 86, um, how old were you then? And you started DJing. Are you DJing full-time now? I
1: am DJing full-time now. I've
2: always been DJing full-time. Coming up, uh, just learning how to DJ. Starting at 13, I was in Catholic school with a few friends, and we was pretty much the only ones that was into like the, the whole DJ and hip hop aspect of things. So that's how we started learning how to DJ. But beyond that, when I would go to my uncle's house, my uncle started teaching me the business, you know, of professional DJ. And, you know, he was telling me it's just like, oh, it's beyond scratching. You no, know? you learn how to really mix and really know how to play records you know you could do a lot of parties and you now at the time i was learning how to use a, a a four track a four track recorder just making mixes and just learning how to mix on turntables and everything and once he once he started teaching me with the uh with house records and everything like that the mix mixing records became very easy we almost became second hand to me you know so I would use everything to mix at that time. I was trying to mix everything, even before like the whole African diaspora of records, of famous records being mixed on on tapes or whatever the case came into play. But I, like I said, I grew up in two worlds, you know? So that was always the hip hop side of me, you know? The other side of my Cape side, was going to parties with you know with my parents and my sisters tag along, mm-hmm. and you know sometimes as a little child you know you're not really sitting there enjoying the parties, but to <laughs> me I was always int- but I was always into music and I was always into also, K. Vernie music as well. So I would listen to what the DJs would play, how people would go crazy, how they always stuck to the same records and stuff like that, but come to find out, you know, we're all immigrants of Cape Verne, so what we get is what we get, so a lot of times we get records, and you get tapes, so they try to have all the hot jams on record, ready to ready to go for parties and stuff like that, and um, incidentally, how I got into the whole Cave Verne music, and, how, and playing it, because I was paying attention for so long to what the DJs was doing, I found myself filling in for, a drunk uncle one night, and um, mm-hmm. so of course he's going to go dance with my aunt, his wife, and stuff like that at the time. And so he calls me over. So it's just like Alan, I'm going to go dance. I want you to play this record, this record, and this record. And of course, I played the three records in a row, from going from record to tape and back to record. And then once mm-hmm. the third song was almost over and he hadn't returned, I was I had to make up my own mind. I was just like, okay, what am I going to play next? for me paying attention for what people do, I learned about, you know, Covet Show, Cesaria, and all the, Bana, and all these hot records that people played all the time. So I memorized, and, and to one point I memorized, you know what, always some of the best songs are always the first songs on the record. You know, that's how a mm-hmm. lot of our records would be played. And so, and that's how I, I ended up taking over for that party and then sure enough when people started noticing like okay if you, the uncle's over here who's DJing and then that's when they all noticed like you play you know these mechanisms it's just like you know I just like I said it just came second nature I was so used to being around it you know and I never really rejected my culture which was the key mm-hmm. you know that's always been the key to any culture you know when you grow up Migrating in a different country besides your native country, you learn like people coming to America or born in America that are from Haiti or from a different country. You know, your parents are here for a reason. You know, they're here to, to explore more opportunities, not just for them, but more or less for the children that they're raising and the families that they're growing. You get what I'm saying? So, definitely. And the best way to appreciate that back is to respect the culture where we come from, you know. That's the ultimate we, we respect that we can give to our parents' native land. It's just respect the, respect the land that they come from and respect the struggles that they had to deal with for us to be here. You get what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> for sure.
2: I don't want to get off, too much far off the path. But like I said, that K-Berry <laughs> K- music has always been in me as well as me trying to learn hip hop and trying to do all the techniques. But once my uncle taught me the art of mixing, And knowing how to transition records, everything completely went out the window at that point. Like I said, I was trying to mix everything, you know.
0: I hear, I hear. So, how did you get introduced into kizomba? When did that come along?
2: Well, my grandfather. So I'm going to go way back. I hear. Way back. So my grandfather used to be a president of an association. And at this point, you know, a lot of different DJs would come in, and I remember what I, to me, to, to be honest, like it's kind of like almost me reflecting on it. The very first time that I remember that the Kizomba phenomenon before it came in was when a certain DJ would come in and he'd play all the different exotic records that weren't Cape Verdean or weren't Haitian, mm. and this is when the Lambada, this is when the Lambada
0: phenomenon was big. What year was this? This is
2: like 87 88.
0: Okay. I was born in 84 so I'm I'm listening. <laughs>
2: okay. So this is a, and and I'm only telling from from my eyes perspective. This is only from my No, for sure. I, I hear you. I could be I could be right or wrong to the to the other prof, quote-unquote professionals of Tizamba, but I do mm-hmm. have a big insight that a lot of people don't know about and I might have a similar story to a lot of DJs or to musicians that have these stories or had these reflections but never really came to life so for me it goes yeah, but like that's this. exactly what we want to hear exactly so for me it goes like this when my, when my grandfather used to run a uh, association and used to have once a month there used to be different promoters to come in and they'd rent the night once a month and they'd bring in a dj well the dj would not only play cavernian records and asian records he'd also play like soca in different joints but when he brought in mm-hmm. Lombarda and when the whole phenomenon went crazy it wasn't just the Lombarda records that was it was other joints that was almost associated with almost like the, the, the diaspora that was bringing in so mm-hmm. it was only there was spanish records that sounded like duke records it was duke records that was sounding like caribbean records you get know what i'm saying all these like St. Martin's, you know, saying the Martinique's, everything was was mixed. So it wasn't until after when he started bringing in more Haitian records and more influence from France. And that's when you start hearing that, that little simple, that little simple uh, drum snare pattern, that, that, Da, 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 and a lot of these mm-hmm. records were starting to become really popular at that time. You know, what I'm saying with with the almost like the rhythmic tempo at a 110 B- BPMs, and mm-hmm. whenever when the when the slower records of with those same drum patterns would come on, the records would sound sexy and sensual so it's almost like it was like a sensual record but you almost thought it was forbidden to listen to but it was (laughs) just so banging like I remember um the very first record that I thought was very raunchy and sexual was the was the uh, Jean-Marc Rodin was the Oulé Oulé uh-huh. And you know, that's a heavy sexual
0: zook record, you know? Mm-hmm. But that kind of like Who was the artist again? Jean Routine. Jean Michael Routine. Okay. Jean Michael Routine. Okay. And I'm going to try to find that song and put it in the show notes of the podcast so these people can, can hear because you're dropping a lot of names and I haven't heard of these names before and I'm pretty sure our, our audience hasn't heard of them either oh, so yeah, some maybe of, after the call we can like get some of the songs that are maybe on YouTube or something like that so we can share them with the audience yeah
2: some of them are like they're all hate, like some of them are Haitian records and I'm I'm mm-hmm. going to get into the part where the whole Kate Vernon stuff to me starts to come into play um, for sure like I said all these records were hot you know, all these Haitian records, and they were starting to influence the outside people, especially the Cape Ernie's, you know. Out of Cape we were so into traditional records, you know, to like the Call of Danters, the Moderners, the Samba records. So really when the Zook records started to come into play, you know, you can hear a couple people trying to feel the sound out, but it wasn't really until like a group where Levy T and Splash came along and they really developed that Haitians, they kind of adapted that Haitian style of sound and brought it over to the Cape Verdean market and it became really huge. And then that's when we learned about, you know, Angolano records and stuff like that and people in the Portuguese Portuguese market also making uh, these heavy influenced records too, all with the same drum pattern. So, you know, mm-hmm. and... but. I would think that one of the heaviest influenced records to create that sound was by. um, Okay, let me get. Alizé Ungarma. The name of the record is called Bané. That to probably to the, that record still to this day gets played like it was like the record came out yesterday, and that's pretty. That's mm-hmm. a twenty five year old record right there. Probably more than that. I would say the record came out in like 88, 89. I could be wrong, but the, the Ali Van Gogh. You said it was called Bane? Bane, yeah. B-A-N-E. That's the song that can, to me kind of influenced and just infused all of the spores to, to to have that sound because that was the record that had the initial sound to that culture crossing over to everything. And that was a Senegalese record. It's a Senegalese record. So that was kind of proof of being like okay well anybody can kind of like do this rhythmic patterns but growing on and you've got people like Don Kikish you know a mm-hmm. lot of like Angolano people you know Justine Delgado um there's a other few names I just can't name off the top of my head but a lot of it's these okay, artists okay. they was really the ones that started to use the name Kizomba in their music, you know? And I think that Kizamba was, was influenced by like a lot of faster records or faster tempo. It wasn't until years later when they started slowing down the records or started being like, okay, if the fast records got adapted to the Semba sound, they slowed it mm-hmm. down and, and took the Kizamba sound, slowed it down and, and adapted it to the dance, to whatever dance so I think was invented to it.
0: At this time where you had all these records coming on, I think you said it was like 87, 88, and the word Kizoma wasn't there, but the snare beat was there. What were people dancing to it at that time?
2: It was always been the classic one-two-step dance, you know, for a long time, you know? Even with Cape Verdeans or whatever, there's always been the one-two-step, and it wasn't until like the mid-90s when they started inventing like different dances to dance, like Schwinga, Posada, mm-hmm you know call mm-hmm. and then they started adapting like Carla Zook, you know into the vibe but once, Kiz- mm-hmm. once Kizama once came into play you know a lot of cape Verdeans felt that they was entitled to have to to that name also because of the fact that they adapted a lot of these a lot of these trendy dances that was coming out with the music at in certain at certain periods of time you know so like it's always been the kizomba dance has always been there but it was just never really adopted or just never really fully stamped until the until finally the music just dictated it and then they just took it to a to a realm of their own and after that after that point I really can't explain how kizomba got its dance <laughs> where the two step comes from and, and how the lat, how the latinos can, you know I can only explain just the beginning elements of where I've seen Kizama take its birthplace, you know, or kind of like mm-hmm. take its full right and where it was already developed in the music. But it just wasn't made into a phenomenon until years later.
0: I hear I it. So I have a question. The first question that I have is Kolozuk. I've heard of Kolozuk. That is Cape Verdean, correct?
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's like Cape Keberian style of music that was adapted by Zook Music. So they tried, it. like I said, it's all adapted where a lot of people that, that was doing it was like the groups like Levy T, Splash, and people, and a lot of the producers and the artists from that group really spread out. And pretty much the biggest one that was doing like the Cola sound is Grace Everett, which you hear in is you still hear in style today.
0: Yeah, I've heard of her for sure. And is that Cola like a mix of Colavera and Zook? Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm, exactly what it is,
0: and so coladera was a dance and a music,
2: and a, band, and a dance and a style, style trend of music in K, in the Kaborian sport. Yep, yeah. there's coladera, there's marna, there's marzuka, there's batuk, and there's funana. There's, there's like there's, there's like six, seven different types of genre music in Kaborian. There's even a lot more than that, but those are the m- most famous ones that we know of.
0: I got you. I definitely heard of Fu Na um, I remember being at the Houston Salsa Congress and DJ Gellis was there and he played a set of funana and it was just it sounded like a really fast merengue almost and
2: um hey, not to get into the uh history of funana but the, the history of funana is kind of like some people that was going door to door and playing like their live instruments and playing it just at a really fast tempo and mm. and how they got the name funana was the, how they adopted it from pretty much from the names of the people that was playing playing the instrument
0: nice 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 Um, How does Posada tie into all of this? Because I hear that Posada, like Kizomba, some of the steps they took from Cape Verde with Posada, but like you just kind of hear the name in passing. But it'd be awesome to hear your perspective on like what Posada is. Is that a music? Is it just a dance step and and how that played a part in all of this Kizomba? growth now
2: you gotta realize something as me being a dj you know i see Mm -hmm. i see the dancers from one perspective but the dancers see it from another so the perspective Mm -hmm. that i see it from is you know i grow with the music during during the during the time of the era and i remember posada Mm -hmm. really being huge and big around 01 and 02 and then really developing. these are the years where Keisha was around it was Quattro Plus where it was Nelson Freitas Nelson Mm Freitas in the group before he actually went solo um People like, uh, from the, from the Zook market, like Ali Angel, um, what's the name of the other dude that was doing it big too? It's my right hand dude. I can't believe I forgot his name. It's on the tip of my tongue. So, uh, man, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. But a lot of people produced by Ali Angel at that time, mm-hmm. Keisha, Keisha, I can't even believe I forgot his name. Um, a lot of their music was, uh, that was, not say it was adapted by the style but a lot of people adapted that two step and then the skip towards their music because it, it fit it just fit the bill well you know like I said everything I'm mm-hmm. talking to is from a DJ perspective like where the Nick Posada came from I don't know but it just it just popped up out of nowhere and it just adapted to the music that we was playing at the time you know and it just followed through and then went but Kizama was always there but it was known as um, as a musical genre in the Portuguese music you get what I'm saying in the Portuguese yeah, it wasn't sure. really Then, like I said it must have adopted from the, from the, from the Lions from Spain, because Spain was the one that really integrated the whole dance. In my opinion, you get what I'm saying, because that's, that's where it. a lot of the former, even lebada, comes from Spain. You get what I'm saying. A lot of the forbidden <laughs> dances come from mainly from Spain. You get what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. they, they, to me, in my opinion, they must have adopted it somewhere must have been watching it and they took it and ran with it, you know what I'm saying? And once the other diasporas found out, it was just kind of like, wait a minute, we have, we're responsible for this. We're responsible for this dance step or we're responsible for mm-hmm. this music or we're responsible for this. And what a lot of people are not realizing that it's now grown into a global phenomenon so far that, you know, it's it's hard to see where it's hard to see where the stem of the roots really come from with so many with with so many elements being wide open and just spread out you know it's almost like someone it's like someone had to go look for each element in order to, you really got to go look for each element in order to put it together to, to fit this puzzle together from where he's yeah. really his birthplaces really comes from you know but i do know that it's it's now here to stay it's not it's bigger than any dance that i've seen thus far and it and the and the funny thing is that it keeps growing it keeps growing and to me the reason why it keeps growing is because it touches people's sensual side you know it it reaches Mm -hmm. out to the lovers it reaches out to the friends that have dance partners that you know that want to be on that side you know music today is not is not as romantic. We look at it in America, the market, you know, we're always complaining about, oh, rap is not the same, it's now it's trappy, you know, the music is now EDM, mm-hmm. it's so, it's so transy, it's so drug-related, it's just like, where did the R&B go? Where did the sexy crooning go? You know, get what I'm saying? So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, and like, it's almost like, Kizomba Kizomba, like the world of Kizomba is like the only world that really has that kind of music that reaches out to people's sensual side. And I think that's the reason why so many people
0: adapt into it, no matter what language or no matter what culture you come from. Let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Are you addicted to Neo slash Urban Kizomba? Do you spend most of your free time watching Kizomba videos on YouTube and Facebook? Do you daydream about someday traveling to Europe to dance Kizomba? If you answered yes to any of these questions, get off your butt and head to the second annual Neo-Kizoma Festival in Austin, Texas. We are bringing some of the top European instructors and DJs to you here in the U.S. Lawrence and Adeline, Isabel and Felicienne, Anna Labone, and DJ Snakes. This is all going down July 8th to the 10th in Austin, Texas. Find out more and grab your pass before the next price increase at neokidsfest.com. Again, that's com. Yeah, it's definitely a human feeling. And I definitely appreciate your perspective coming from a DJ. It doesn't have to co- always come from a dancer because it's, it's, it's interesting to see both sides. And of course, you playing the music and seeing how people react to that music is going to be different from somebody actually dancing it, you know, but it's still a valuable perspective and I appreciate everything that you shared so far it's, it's really awesome to kind of hear the stories and I like it's it's like a big puzzle you know you hear names and you hear names of dances and names of artists and you're not really sure how they all kind of relate together and you're just trying to put the puzzle together but like It's it's interesting because nobody has all the puzzle pieces, and some people have a group of puzzle pieces over here, and this Angolan person might have a group of puzzle pieces over here, and this Haitian person might have a group of puzzle pieces, and then seeing how they all interconnect is it's the difficult part, you know?
2: Yeah. And the thing about the Kizamba world where now, where now more than ever, I res- I respect the dancers more because now I understand exactly what they want and how they want it. You know, coming from a DJ's perspective, you know, I've been, I've, you know, I do a lot of nightclubs and stuff like that. But when I've done like one or two Kizamba festivals and really seen that, it's just like, you know what? This is not about the night, This is not about the nightlife. This is about dancers really coming in and really want to do their thing and really want to show what they have and just really take it to another level as far as seeing where it goes from there. Some people might see it as being like, Sometimes you know too much Kizama might get dull on the brain, or it just might slow people down, like it's a like mm-hmm. over like, o- like an overdose. You know, some people might see it's just like you know what, just creates a, a better cl- uh, better climax for the dancers to to, to mm-hmm. get from point A to point D. <laughs> 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 um, but but any way possible. It, it really is about the dancer, you know, because a lot of music that comes out, you know, it really has to reach out to the couple. It has to reach out to the couple as as one as one dancing unit, you know. And that's where the music becomes essential. And that's where some of the hits are really where the, some of the hits really play their part. Whereas if they really hits or if they really take the couples to another level as far as dancing or, and even emotion
0: hmm that's awesome that's awesome I love everything that you're saying so far my next question will be you mentioned the like making the music for the dancers and with your Cape Verdean background and growing up with it did you notice how some dances was it was partner dancing always there or was it something that kind of grew and I guess you've kind of seen how the partner dancing has kind of evolved as well because you said pasada was more simple and then it started making the steps to go along with it um, and he, I know some African music, like it's not a partner dance; it's like more of a solo dance. And then some of the African music is more of a partner dance. Did you see the start of any of that, or do you have any insight into that? The
2: way I've always seen it, just as a as a fan of music, and even as a DJ. From the k aspect is that people always dance together, you know, unless sometimes with fast music or just party music, you know, a lot of people, like women will dance in groups or they'll just come and dance with a bunch of guys and then they'll just, they'll do their freaky things or they'll just have fun on the floor and stuff like that like mm-hmm. most adults do. But a lot of, majority of the, the K-Vernian music that I came up with, 70%, so I'd so say like 70 to 80% of it was danced together. Like, coladeras, The Modernists, like the Call of you can't really dance together. Together, before and now you can mm-hmm. you could dance together and like a few other joints. But rarely do I see, really unless it's like a fast party record. Do I do? Mm-hmm. I, rarely do I see people just dancing by themselves.
0: Yeah, like dancing by themselves, but like they're still dancing in a group, but just not in a partner, in like, a just partner one man, one way. woman.
2: Yeah, exactly. No, I don't see that. I don't see that too much now. And now we zombas like you def like I definitely see like a lot of people dancing, you know. You see girls with girls dancing, you see different exactly. body dances, All th- oh, you might you might even see just someone just trying to teach uh just a step. You know, you might have to dance behind mm-hmm. that person holding by the waist, you know what I'm saying? And it's just yeah, and, but sure. it's not about it's not about even being funny or it's not even about being queer or anything like that. It's more, it's always been about the dance and I think that's mm-hmm. the, that's the really key about this is where the dancers really stand up, you know. The DJs play a big, car, big part but I'm more or less really starting to understand that the dancers really have a good say in this Kizomba world. It's just a lot of times where where the dancers, where the dancers shouldn't bend is, is how we make our music or where our, or where our uh, inspirations come from to make Kizamba music because everybody has their influences. Um it's just like with the with the podcast with P. Low. P Low is not Verdean. P. Low comes from a Jamaican descendant and it had mm-hmm. ja- and, it, and was listening to totally jazz in his house. You know, so it's kinda like saying, Okay, so where does the Kizamba influence come from? Well it's always been there through the jazz music. The jazz, the saxophone is a sexy instrument you know it, mm-hmm. it brings out a certain monotone in people it brings out a certain emotion out of people the same thing where a piano would do or a drum would do or a guitar would do mm-hmm. so it's, it's all about how you influence through music and then how it plays its part for when you come to the present day and you see p is like um I, I helped him um executive his, his uh Saxo Kizama project and then when he presented mm-hmm. me with the first the first couple of productions, I was just like, "Dude, where are you getting this from?" You know, and I'm just like, "You're not K. Verdi," and I came and found out afterwards, and he wasn't <laughs> like, "You're not K. Verdi," and I'm like, "How are you?" And it's just like you said, it's it's all influential, and it's just how where you position yourself to learn what this music is about, and then the only like. You could be around many producers and many artists and celeb DJs or whatever the case may be. But until you actually see what the sound does to the people that are dancing to it on the floor, you're really not going to have a clue. You're not going to understand the total experience of what Kizoma is about.
0: I got you. I got you. That's awesome. I really love your message. After Miami Beach Kizoma Festival last year, Emily told me that you played a Latin set in your DJ set. And I'm not sure if you played like merengue or maybe a salsa or something like that. I'm not sure um, if I'm quoting her correctly, but you said that Angolans love the, the Latin music. And I was wondering if you can provide some insight into... That and your experience. I mean, how often do you play Latin music at Kizomba festivals or Kizomba events? And is that popular? What's the story behind that? Let
2: now. Let's just now. I'm, like I said, I'm gonna keep. A, I'm gonna keep it straight. Hundred with you, right? So uh-huh. a lot of times at these Kizomba festivals, a lot of times when I'm DJing with a lot of DJs, you know, sometimes it might. Sometimes these parties might tend to be a little bit maybe one-sided or two-sided, or just people. Mm-hmm. Or when you start to find out where. When you start to go to these festivals, it almost seems like it's a repetition, you know, where people, a lot of DJs or entertainers are playing like kizomba sets or they're playing like Samba sets and then they go play mm-hmm. the Afro house sets and then when, mm-hmm. when you're dealing with an all night party, it's just like, okay, And then I'm like, for me a person, I'm dealing with six other DJs and they're giving me 45 minutes to spend so that's when mm-hmm. I start digging into the other uh, brains and I'd be like, what did you guys play? Well, I played the kizomba set. Well, I played the Afro house set and I played this and, at the same, well, this is totally speaking for me being at the festival, and I had a request for someone to hear bachata, and of course, I asked two DJs I was like, "Did anybody play any Spanish music tonight?" And the answer was no. So when I went to go start my set, I was just kind of like, "I found my niche," in in some ways, mm-hmm. you know. So and that as a DJ, and that that's that's the competitive side. is just like you know, <laughs> it's not just competitive, but it's the fun to bring out a more. A positive, more positive atmosphere, or to bring the party up to another different level, or to bring it to a different side that people haven't got to experience at the party yet. So once mm-hmm. I played the Spanish music, and people just went nuts. And I kind of played played a few joints, and then I just kind of like dwelled on and just kept went on to my set. But then I came to find out, it's just like like people were happy about me playing like a little bachata, a little salsa and stuff like that. I was just like, well, why not? I would think like this is a worldwide event. You know, why why not play bachata? You know, I play, this is a lot of times, this is how I play at home. I might be a hip hop DJ, but when I go and step Mm -hmm. inside more or less like nightclubs or parties I try to bend the music a lot you know not just to play k even at K-Vernian parties or whatever the hip hop part I try to bend the music you know just don't want to keep it one sided or I just don't want to keep it as just in one lane possible so of course I'm going to play hip hop you know you're going to hear Future you're going to hear Drake you're going to hear the popular Uh joints but while you're there and I'm playing the R&B and the hip hop and the radio stuff that you're familiar with you know what let me slide a bachata song in there for my Latino people that come out. And let me slide a K. Vernon mm-hmm. or uh, Kizomba records for my K. Vernon peoples or my Angolan or my Asian peoples that come out because they they hate like and the thing that attracts them is Nelson Freitas. Once they hear the Nelson Freitas or once they hear the voice, it's like everybody knows that that's one of the most popular persons in the Kizama music business. Like you know, mm-hmm. and for people sure. For and, sure. And people gravitate, it's almost like Michael Jackson to pop music, you get what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. people not knowing too much about Kizamba definitely know that Nelson Francis is one of the most friendliest artists to reach out when you're in that Kizamba world because his lyrics just reside with a lot of American people like it would do with like a Jodeci record or a Genuine record or a Trey songs record, you get what I'm saying? Like he has that that R&B in him. But it's just uh, it's just in Kizomba style, and it just blends well with how the how the sensualism comes out.
0: I got you. So it's really awesome to hear you say that because, like, as a DJ, you're adapting to the crowd and not really what your personal preference is. And then also, if you are on at a festival or at an event with multiple DJs, how you kind of put, position yourself to be a DJ so people notice you and you're not just playing the same sets that everybody else is playing. You're just trying to kind of find that unique angle to kind of let the people still have fun and still have a good time, but then also still kind of, make them make your make your set stand out a little bit just a little bit but not by too much you know
2: correct i mean and that's just from the era that i came up with as a dj you Now i came up with records you know and right rec- and you had a bunch of records in your in your craze so not just one standard so sometimes you would have to break into even if you're playing like if i'm playing at a cave running party whatever it is you know it's like if i want to break out of the norm i play uh an arrow oh i love uh oh Soka record you get what i'm saying Or just something that people would relate to. Like a lot of people love, I remember in the middle of the where people would get tired of me or something they want something different all of a sudden an Exile 1 record Akiyaka would come on and that's a classic uh-huh. record and then people would just lose their minds like the record would like the <laughs> record came out yesterday and these are, like I said these are all things that I learned from watching other DJs from the past you know what I'm saying and just learning how to play and just knowing when to be different knowing when to be risky you know what I'm saying or just knowing when to s- slow it down you know saying you you're. it's kind of like being you being a DJ it's kind of like you being the Pied Piper you know you're leading the people to to dance you know you're leading people to celebrate you're leading people to entertainment you know when you when that pipe Piper plays that flute you have to influence people to come and get out of their and get out of their social minds and, and really come and relax and enjoy themselves. And then what mm. the Pied Piper plays to them is whatever mood that they're going to be in. And believe, best believe me, if the Pied Piper pays the wrong note, you definitely going to wake up a lot of people. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. You know, so... No, it's interesting because, like, hearing the, the R&B influence and hearing you mention Pilo and, like, with the R&B, like, I, I've experimented with dancing Kizomba to, like, R&B tracks and hip-hop tracks like Drake and stuff like that just because it's it's just that fusion, you know? And it's like, okay, I love, like, I hear, like, the tracks that have, like, an R.B. influence or, like, a rap influence and stuff like that, but, like, you're a hip-hop DJ as well, and that's, like, a, a, also a global kind of music as well. And dancing Kizomba to that, it, it's it's kind of different and kind of the same at the same time, but, I mean, it's, it's coming from a dancer's perspective at that point, but that's also... It's also kind of fun to play around with and just have a good time with the music that you know. And even old school R&B, like some TLC or some SWV, those tracks, I've, I've DJed those. In some of my sets before and, and some bills people really love them because they just it just brings that happy moment that they had exactly from a it, long time ago you know it
2: gra- it gravitates to the feeling that everybody has in the room like you said you got you're do- definitely doing a kizama party you're going to have a bunch of cultures in the room so a lot of times when you go going straight away from the kizama records from the Samba records that everybody's going there to party initially for you know you can sli- mm-hmm. you could slip in something that you know, a little taste of a little flavor from from each continent or whatever the case may be. Like you play like you say, you play R and B record, T L C no scrubs. That it's a universal women's record, so of course they're gonna say (laughs) fine. You get what I'm saying? And you could also go and drop Dasaki which is technically Uh a Spanish record, but that's a worldwide, international hit. And it doesn't matter, anyone from eight to 80, black or white to yellow, is gonna dance that record and gonna dance the same to it. It's not, to Mm -hmm. me it's not technically a Spanish record or a record, that's just, that's a universal record that just, you play it anywhere, everyone will gravitate to that record. Hard to make Mm -hmm. records these days like that. Hard to make records That's a really
0: interesting, like, just taking the, the music out of its genre and just making it like a universal sound that's that's an interesting perspective yes
2: it's very hard to really produce those records or really get those records to that to get to to that point um, cause, because i i doubt that when creating that record that they had an idea that they was just trying to reach out and adopt the fast ca sound from Africa to do it to a Spanish fusion and then look where it mm-hmm. got, it look where it got and now it just sounds like it's just a big international hit. You can't even label it a Spanish record or any kind of record. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. label it a pop record at that, you know, but it's just, it, to me, it's a universal record. It's one of them records that you could play anywhere around the world and people will just jump up and go crazy.
0: Yeah, it's it's really awesome to see the the similarities that we have between the music and like the feeling and the happiness no matter what your culture is no matter like you said before black yellow brown white it doesn't matter like you're going to get on the floor because you love that particular music you know and i think if you coming from that musical standpoint like you said at the beginning of the podcast music is, is so universal you know it's not, Yes, you can attribute certain sounds to certain countries and certain cultures, but at the end of the day, the feeling behind it can be transmitted and translated to anyone who who has the ear for it or just gets touched by it, you know?
2: Exactly. Like It's almost like the like a song is like an egg with whoever it reaches out to. That's where it's going to crack its soul into it. and then you just reach out, you know? I think someone had made a comment about Prince that I had seen on Twitter, and it was one of the most incredible things that I had read. Um, it had said that people are not crying and mourning over Prince's death, over losing the person. They're crying because of the of the music that touched their souls or knew exactly where who to wake up. You know what I'm saying? Like the music has its own way of waking up certain souls, and Prince was. Prince made, one of what made music that actually touched people's soul to be like, you know what? This is the kind of person that I am and this person is happy to be that kind of person. Like, you know how we all thought of Prince. Prince was a musical genius, but sometimes on the side, just like Michael Jackson, he might have had his weird moments. But,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you
2: know, to people that didn't have, that didn't think Prince was a weirdo, was just like, you know what? Prince was my hero. Prince knew what to sing to me. You get what I'm saying? Prince knew how to open up a soul to reach out to a person to be like, you know what? Go out and lift yourself. Go out and be yourself. Go out and be proud of who you are no matter if they look at you as a weirdo or whatever the case may be. And just from that tweet, I understood, like, I understood another another level of music of being like, you know what, that's that's what music is really all about. It's like, and that's what the artists do. Your music reaches out to people that it really touches. You know, if we go back, we can go back and reach out to, even in rap music, we'll be like, you know what, Music rap music was heavily dominated by black minorities. So all of a sudden mm-hmm. when you have a person like Eminem coming in with a crazy style and like a really like whiny voice, some people mm-hmm. are like was like, ah, oh, he's just a wannabe and da 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 yeah. And then when you go really listen to his story, he really woke up a lot of white America that was kinda like ignored, abandoned, or people were treating like the white men like they was trash. You know, and then mm-hmm. Eminem reached out to those men through his music To be like You know what It's okay to be the weirdo Just stand up And still be yourself Be be the responsible person That you are But it's okay to be that weirdo It's okay to be that Drunk white guy Or whatever In case that likes to party And, and yada 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 But at the end of the day mm-hmm. You're still taking care Of your daughter And you're taking care Of your responsibilities Even if people don't See it that way You get what I'm saying And, sure. and that's what music does Music reaches out to souls And it knows how to reach Certain people and knows how to wake them up to be like you know what this person's influenced me to have a better life or this is person is influencing me to reach to have that to listen to the message in the music i should say you know what i'm saying to reach out to that person that knows what they're going through and then they hear a certain record by friends or whoever it is and be like you know what that record just woke me up that record got me out of my depression or got in my my mm-hmm. state of shock or whatever the case may be i can live life now knowing that someone out there reached out through me through music and that's what music does man music reaches out
0: yeah and that's exactly what's happening here in the u.s i mean you're starting to get a lot of remixes in kizomba that are taking like these older songs these older r&b songs or even more modern songs in in the top 40 songs and then mixing them into kizomba to kind of like reach i guess the market to kind of fit under the kizomba umbrella but like the feeling is still kind of there and it seems like From the very beginning, Kizoma has been a fusion of a lot of different things, you know, and and it's kind of like a tangled web of a lot of things. And it's hard to kind of find out exactly where the roots come from, you know, because you have all these different elements. And I just feel like Kizoma has been doing that through all this time, you know, and just kind of spreading across the globe. And getting little more and more influences from a lot of different things, you know. And if you listen to the Kizomba tracks that are coming out now by like LG and, and Mika Mendes and, and Nelson Fritas and Se Cuatro, that's like more electronic and things like that. But it's it's just kind of encompassing more and more influence, you know, as it starts to cross more borders.
2: Exactly, because they all you know, all of these artists are trying. You know, where a lot of them, you know, they they're fans or they're they're Clientele is already familiar with the music that they drop, whether it's going to be Kizomba or Cape record, or just something different, you know. But it's more or less trying to reach out to different listeners or just a different audience to to try to get them to understand how we are and where our dances come from, especially for the Kizomba market. Uh, a few years ago, I had made it. I had thought of a uh, of a CD in which I named it American Kizomba in which I had took of a collection of all the um Kizama made records that were sung in English and kind of compiled it into one composition and it really mm-hmm. took off in and- in the northeast region until it started to go different places. And then, um and exactly, you know, us being K. Vernon and me being in, in the Kizama market when I do, and I also do hip hop and like I see so many cultures when I go to different parties, you know, and so sometimes a lot of people will be like, you know, I'll see a K. Vernon, a couple of K. Vernon's in in the nightclub and they'll be like, yo, play that Nelson Fredis record. And, and then, once other people listen to that Nelson Freitas rebound chick and they listen and not just the beat, but just the lyrics in the, the music, you know, relate mm-hmm. to the young 21, 25 year old and be like, you know what I'm saying? I need I man, I just have, i I can mean, with man I need nothing. <laughs> I need something else. I need someone else that's going to fail me, you know. And, that, and the message in that record really reaches out to a lot of males that are be like, you know what, I'm tired of this chick. I need someone new. You know, I need a rebound chick. I need someone that's going to feel me. You get what I'm saying? That message reaches out. But once that music infuses into them and they be like, yo, what is this? Like, I'm feeling like I'm in love, but I'm not. In love, (laughs) but this record got me feeling like I'm on cloud nine with another woman. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. For like the three minutes and some seconds, that's the power of Kizomba, you know. And getting back to the American Kizomba thing, where I was—that was my whole education of just teaching the people that know me from the hip hop audience or from a different, uh, just from a different realm. You no, know, I'm trying to teach them, like, this is what I do. You know, this is what I've been doing for the X amount of years, not after I got mm-hmm. out of pretty much doing hip-hop, and I started doing the K. Verdean clubs in the Diaspora, but I was always known as a hip-hop DJ, you know, and so kind of introducing my clientele over to the other side of my world so that's why mm-hmm. I made that CD and, and I, did, I had never known that it would reach out to so many people. And now a lot of times where well, they'll go to clubs or they'll go to, they'll actually go to Cape Verdean parties and recognize a lot of these records, not just the records, but now they're familiar with the sound and the aura of uh, how the whole Kizomba culture works. So, mm-hmm. so like I said, it's almost like just in, just in my, in my world. So in my world, quote unquote even if I reach out to five people and teach them about the Kizama market that are not cave or don't know anything about the African diaspora they're gonna love it you know and then you, you look at the whole Kizama culture as a whole, and just like I said, I always got different people from Australia, from Austria, Mm -hmm. you know, Russians, and China, and Indonesians, like people from so many different areas around the world that have one thing in common. They love Kizama music, and the funny thing Mm -hmm. is, it's, it's sung in Portuguese or or English. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Rarely rarely is it sung in Spanish, but there are Spanish Kizambas. There's an Asian Asian Kizamba record, you know? Mm -hmm. And, of course, there's, like, different, you know, different other records, too. But a majority of Kizamba comes from from African-Portuguese diaspora, you know?
0: Yeah, the African-European fusion. Exactly. Well i definitely appreciate all your time and your, your message and it's it's awesome to hear because it's not something that we always get to hear i'm um, especially learning kizomba we kind of hear the the story more from dancers and not from djs you know do you have any partying words of wisdom or advice you want to let people know about kizomba because i know sometimes you have people and you have people that are angry because they want kizomba to be representative of their nation or of their country and the respecting of the culture they wanted to be there, but at the same time, it's a it's a global phenomenon. At the same time, and so sometimes there's some beef between both sides, like the traditionalists and the more modern people. But I just wonder if you have any any parting advice for that, and and we'll wrap it up. I
2: think the whole my my insight to the whole Kizama thing to to shed it to the world is more or less to kind of overlook how we got here. But to bring it forward and to be more instructional of how our culture works, and be a little bit more vocal to what the Kizamba this Kizomba clientele actually wants in their parties. You know, a lot of times, whereas just you know, not to say there's a mix-up, but let's say we go to a festival and there's a majority of Cape Verdens that go to the festival, so it might get, it might feel outnumbered, or it might feel like the music is more inclined from the kizamba or even though the kizamba records are being played but a lot of times when you Mm -hmm. go to different zones or you go to different regions you see a lot of the sometimes the regional records will get played before the kizamba so it's just got to be a little bit more directional and i think a lot of times Mm -hmm. where even just an idea for these kizamba festivals is that you know it should be a it should be a lot a lot more functions should be during the day should have happy hour parties. It shouldn't be carried on to the late nights and stuff like that if you're going to do like mm-hmm. weekends for like two, three days or whatever it is. You know, time flies and when you're there, you're also going to go there to party. It should be maybe one or two main parties, but the rest of the time should be should probably be like pit stops of, of like happy hours you know what I'm saying two hour dance session or whatever the case may be you know a lot of times there's, there's classes and that's fun and that's all cool and everything for people that want to go and learn but I think there's a lot of people that go to these Kizama festivals thinking that okay we want to do something different than the norm and what we do at home than to come here and do the same thing you get what I'm saying so we're still right. the Kizama the Kizomba culture is still growing and I think that's the way that it should be sometimes if we look too far back over with times where we think we're trying to perfect this thing too much and we haven't had too much of the history of knowing where the puzzles fit inside the Kizamba mystery you get what I'm saying and it will go from there but you know we still got great records we still have great artists we have great dancers coming around and believe you me we're probably another two, three years from being shown on a Today Show at a prime time level. But it's definitely, mm-hmm. but we're definitely in the working process and we're going in the right direction. We definitely don't have violence and drugs infused into our culture. You know, our culture is more based on sensual and not sexual. I tell people there's a difference between sensual and sexual. Sensual is the feeling. Sexual is the attitude.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. No. All right, DJ Lefty, we definitely appreciate all your time and your wisdom and taking the time to talk to us today. I think this is going to be an awesome podcast for our listeners to listen to and just kind of get a different perspective from the music and the way that the music makes you feel and how it transcends borders. And it just connects to you on a, a human global culture, you know, even though we can credit particular countries or, or cultures to the birthing of the of the music, it's really becoming, like you said before, a global phenomenon is and it's a beautiful thing and with that touching so many global people you're going to start to get asian records that are kizomba russian kizomba records Australian kizomba records and things like that because people are going to feel it just like they did before and want to add their own flavor to it you know?
2: Exactly it's just as it's, we're just a growing phenomenon and we're just going to we are learning as we go because even for me I'm I've been in the kizomba for a long time but I'm still learning more about the dance and about its culture as it goes and you know and you, when and it's it's when you dig deeper when you go back to the times it's being like you know what this is like as a person or as a DJ or whatever it is through music, you'd be like, you know what? I remember this happening when I was this age. And what, what, mm-hmm. so what kind of connection does that have from 30 years that happened 30, 25 years to have the connection now? And it, and it all is infused all in the music. It, it, music was always in, was the, was the key, you know, to, to influence the dance and all just in the, sens- the sensuality.
0: All right, DJ Leslie, thank you so much for your time. Um, We'll hopefully touch base with you and maybe I'll meet you in person one of these days but thanks so much for your time
2: well, definitely I hope to catch you at one of the festivals pretty soon I be with Gellis every once in a while um, I just be on the run I have my own you know I have my own brand the one-handed DJ Lefty everybody can catch me on Facebook Instagram Snapchat you know all of, all of the social medias DJ Lefty 401 or official one-handed DJ you can catch some of my stuff on soundcloud.com my latest remix that I put out uh, It's called Back to Sleep LJ's Fix Mix What I actually do Is infuse The Chris Brown R&B records One of the Looney Johnson Records Off of his Recent album Believe um, Shouts to my Lights Out crew They're still big In the Kizama world Shouts to all the DJs out there Doing their thing We are a brotherhood We are not enemies to each other Shouts to all the dancers doing their thing and shouts to everybody that we invite everybody to please be part of the Kizama world part of um, this, oh, the Kizama phenomenon the door is always open for anyone that's interested in learn our culture our dance or just to be involved with what we do you know we're a different side of, of music that's definitely about partying and entertainment and not about the negative
0: for sure for sure and I'll be sure to include all of those social media links in the show notes for the podcast so people can check you out on all those different sites and Snapchat and Instagram and all that good stuff, yeah?
2: Word up, word up. All
0: right, thank you so much, brother. All
2: right, take care, Charles. night. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey.